On February 26th, Neil and I both received an email from the president of our church inviting us to think deeply about how we hear the voice of the Lord and to share our experiences and feelings about Jesus Christ. Today, Neil and I dig into the topic of God speaking to us and how we hear the voice of the Lord. We share some personal experiences and tips on what helps us hear His voice, describe exactly what it feels like, looks like, and sounds like, and how and when we have experienced it most in our lives. Hi, welcome everybody. I'm here with Neil today. Hi guys. And we are going to talk about um, a challenge that just came through our email inbox yesterday. So it came from our prophet, Russell M. Nelson, who's the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And before you, if you are not a member of our church, before you think, oh, this won't apply to me, we really are going to try to make this applicable to anyone who is faith-based and who believes in God, because today we're just going to talk about how God speaks to man. And um, we're going to just start off with just some basic understanding of what our belief is as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, which is that God still speaks to man. And Neil, do you want to kind of, I want Neil to start off with this because he has he had two full years of full-time experience teaching people. Isn't this one of the first things you teach people Yeah, on your mission? Yeah. I, when I was on my mission, they had, uh, they call them the discussions. And so it's just like a series of lessons about the church. Um, and so in the first discussion, it, we talked about prophets and kind of what a prophet is. Okay. So most people, if you've read the Bible or studied at all religion, you know that a prophet is something that's introduced in the Bible. We believe that Moses was a prophet and uh, who else? Abraham, Basically, Daniel. the whole yeah. Bible is written by prophets, people right. who received like revelation or received God's word and then would teach the people. Um, God would in turn command them to go and teach the people about what his will was or his commandments or, or something, you know, anything like that. Right. So we believe that now we still have a living prophet who receives revelation for our day, for real time, for whatever we're facing, which is so incredible. And that's why you see members of our church talking about general conference twice a year, where we gather and listen to the prophet and his apostles' messages and whatever they you know are receiving from God to have us know. But we also believe in personal revelation. So we don't just believe that revelation only comes from God through prophets, but also that people can receive revelation for themselves, that basically that man can communicate with God. And when we pray, we believe that you can receive revelation from God on what his will is for you, which is such a powerful concept. Yeah. And the reason why, so just a kind of a clarification too, like a prophet is called of God to receive revelation or direction for like the entire earth or for, a, you know, a group of people or like, you know, their, their followers. But um, individually, we are entitled because we're all children of God. We're entitled to personal revelation or even, you know, with our families, like a revelation for our family. Right. Um, so that's kind of like the, you know, as far as the difference between the two, that or why we would need a prophet as well. Or I guess there's even revelation that maybe a congregation leader could receive for a smaller group of people or for yeah, someone who like he a has bishop, right? You know, for which is kind of like a minister uh, for a congregation, right? And it's all done through um, what we would call the the priesthood, or which is the authority that God delegates to man to basically um, perform his work. We had a really interesting conversation a few weeks ago when we were in Arizona for our team retreat. All the girls that work for us are Christian, and that's not necessarily by design. It's just what happened. And our assistant is not a member of our church, but she is very faith-based and Pentecostal. And I asked her a question when we were driving somewhere. I don't remember where. I said, "What do you? what's your perception of members of our church and what's this been like for you now that she's worked for us for two years because a majority of the girls that are on our team are members of our church and her answer was super interesting to me I really expected something different I expected her to say oh I thought you were polygamous before and now I know you're not or something but she said 
I feel like I can have a great conversation with someone who's a member of your church because we share the same belief that God still speaks to man. And she said, I love that, that we could sit down and talk about personal revelation. And so someone who is very strong in their Pentecostal religion, I I just thought that was beautiful. I loved that, that we shared that commonality. And that's something that I think many, many religions and people of faith share. So I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that, Neil? No, I just think that's, I think in general, there's, there's kind of a, a lot of times a consensus that we can receive direction from God or, you know, even if for people who are maybe not so focused on God, even just like a higher power or, or anything like that. Yeah, like, that's so true. That there is a connection there that is like vital. And so I think for for a lot of people can relate to that and have experiences that are really cool that of God speaking to them. Okay, so I have a question for you that you're that I didn't prepare you for. Since you have a lot of experience too in the AA recovery circles. So I know that you can't work the 12 steps without having belief in at least a higher power, right? Yeah. That's like a fundamental mm-hmm. that you have to you, do. Yeah, you have to. There's a chapter in the big book. It's called, well, they the heading is like, find God or die. Wow. Um, and, and But it basically talks about, yeah, having some type of, some higher power. Okay. So how does step 11 work for that universal, whatever you believe in, higher power, God, whatever? Because oh, step finding... 11 is to re- like seek revelation, right? Yeah. Seek through meditation and prayer to, you know, improve our connection with God. Um, so basically there's a chapter and, and if you listen to the story, there's some guys that talk about the the beginnings of AA and how it came to be. Um, and you've got, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill W. And um, there's a chapter, it's called We Agnostics. It's in the big book. <clears throat> and basically it was written because a lot of the guys in the early days of AA were, would come in and they weren't faith-based. And they're like, okay, what if I'm agnostic? Like, and you're, you're trying, telling me to work this spiritual program, how do I do it? Um, and so it was basically coming up with, you know, okay, like you need to establish that personal connection for yourself. And a lot of times, even for people who are faith-based, um, maybe there's some some thoughts about God or some inaccurate beliefs of like God hates me or God's you know disappointed with me. God doesn't love me. Um, a lot of times it takes reworking that and understanding the true nature of of God. And so with step eleven, it's establishing that connection and taking time to just sit and and be thoughtful and meditate and listen and with the intent that that will establish a connection with God or, you know, for those who are agnostic or whatnot, um, some type of a, a, a higher power greater than themselves. And that by doing that, that's the connection that will really truly work for them, opposed to looking elsewhere for other connections to destructive things like alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be in order to supplement that connection with God. And so that's why step 11 is so important and so vital is because that is the connection that finally works. And that's what the whole program is based off of. Step 11 completely changed how I say my daily prayers. Before, I would really struggle with, we learn in our church at least, to try to avoid vain repetition of like just basically say the same thing over and over because then it loses its meaning and you're not actually communicating with God. At least that's my interpretation of why we learn to not do that. When I worked Step 11, I feel like I learned a completely different way to pray, which is instead of saying, you know, spouting off a laundry list of God, please give me this and this and this, and I want this and I need this and help me with this. You really turn your prayers into, okay, Heavenly Father, whatever you want me to do, please help me to know what that is and help me to have the power to do it. And I feel like changing that prayer has changed my life without sounding too cliche. It really has because it just turns everything into a completely different paradigm shift of Whatever Heavenly Father wants for me is best for me. And so I'm trying to align my will with His and I want to know what He needs from me so that I can do it. 
So that's one way that I feel like that's really opened up the channel of communication with God better for me is when I've changed that prayer. I feel like I hear his counsel for me and and see his direction for me so much more clearly on a frequent basis because I'm asking for it in the right way. I'm asking for him to guide me instead of just trying to basically tell him what I think is good for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of scriptures that in the in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon and things that, that talk about that to like seek not to counsel the Lord, but to take counsel from right. from the Lord. And I that's I've had the same experience and and I think that's really where I was able to reframe it was working through the steps because I, a lot of times I felt like I treated God kind of like the the genie in the lamp where it was just like, yep. okay, here's my laundry list of wishes that I have. Please make them come true. But if I'm really understanding who God is and thinking about it and being like, okay, if he knows everything, he's all powerful, all wise, and then loves me unconditionally, why why would I come to him with demands or ideas? I mean, I think that there's a part of that. You gotta you gotta bring something to the table to to, you know, work develop yourself and and to show that you put some effort into it. But as far as like, this is what needs to happen, God, here you go. It's like, you know, I, I am nothing compared to God. And, and, and so understanding that part of, of who God is and that relationship really sets the proper tone to receive direction and hear his voice. So in this invitation that we got in our emails yesterday, our, the president of our church, uh, Russell M. Nelson, asked us, to consider, he said, I invite you to think deeply and often about this key question, how do you hear him? And he said, I invite you to take steps to hear him better and more often. So Neil, how do you hear him? How do you hear God? That's such a cool experience, I think. And and it's happened in a myriad of different ways. But what one common theme that I think I've found for myself personally, is that God, you know, Heavenly Father speaks to me in a way that makes sense to me as, as that makes sense to my understanding. And sometimes it's, it's thoughts or words will come into my mind or a phrase will come into my mind. But it more importantly is the feeling there's an impact. And I was just reading in actually in the Book of Mormon, a story about this, this prophet named Enos, who's, he's like a hunter. He, his dad was a, a very spiritual man and taught, uh, the people about the gospel and, you know, Enos wasn't somebody who was following the commandments very well, but he went into the forest to hunt. And he said that the words that his father spake to the people about the gospel sank deep into his heart. And then it really inspired him to make some major changes in his life and, and which he, which he made kind of all in the course of this prayer that he talks about. But that's kind of some of the most powerful ones have just been when I've been off by myself or Honestly, in different situations where you, there's just a feeling that sinks deep into my heart or there's thoughts that, that really just take me back and everything quiets down. And even if during times when I've been doing something wrong, um, one thing that I noticed is that that voice or that feeling, it's never like shaming or negative or causes fear, even when it's corrective, like, hey, you really need to fix this. Um, it, it it almost is a motivating. It's like, hey, you know, you can do this, and and it's a feeling of love. But mm-hmm. it's a it cultivates this desire to change. Of like, you know what? I know there are things that I need to change in my life right now, and like, it's a feeling that's so like spiritual. I'm like, man, I'm just feeling emotional even talking about it. But I've had those moments where I've really felt deeply this love of God, like, Hey, you know, as if someone kind of came up behind me, put their arm around me and just said, Hey, I love you. There are things you need to change in your life and you can do it. I just want better for you. Make this change, go talk to your, you know, your Bishop or minister or, you know, go be reconciled with this person or, you know, do something that, that you know is right. So that's kind of you know, just in general, a a high-level overview of how that's worked for me. I agree with you. I think 
that feeling for me, if I want to get super descriptive, a lot of times it feels like my heart's racing or I just have, they talk in the scriptures about like a swelling in your breast. A lot of times it'll feel like a warm feeling in my chest, you know, and, and it feels different at different times. Most of the time, it's like you said, a thought that will come into my mind. And also, I feel like the scriptures describe the spirit as a whisper. It's oftentimes a whisper. It's very rarely a shout or a very loud voice, although I have had that happen to me just a couple times in my life uh, where I felt like the spirit was shouting something at me. That's usually a, a warning of some sort, but I feel like a couple of things. I really want to agree with what you said about, I believe that God has spoken to me at all times of my life, whether I've been spiritually strong or not as strong. And I think that there are times when our heavenly father almost intervenes because he knows that we need that. And that's happened to me before when I've really, really needed almost like a rescue. But I will say that the more I'm striving to do things like, oh, and I think of it as like opening up channels, like the more I'm doing like frequent scripture study and prayer and being really sensitive to whatever else is affecting me and influencing me, the more I really strive to have those spiritual channels open, the more I feel like God's able to communicate with me. So I think that's important, but I feel like you know, he speaks to me usually through a whisper. And a lot of times it's when I'm in a place that's peaceful. You know, it's hard for God to speak to you if there's always noise, if there's always loud things. And I think that some of the most important revelations, personal revelation we've gotten has been in the temple because it's a really quiet spiritual place. And I think it's after we've done some service and after we've put ourselves in that mindset of removing the world. I think a lot of times I hear the spirit or I hear God's voice when I'm in a quiet place, when I've removed myself from distractions, when I'm careful about my environment. And and I'm not saying that all I do is walk around listening to church music and um, not that that would be a bad thing, but I think that I don't think you need to live like a monk to be able to hear God's voice is what I'm saying. No, I agree with that. But at the same time, I think that the more mindful you are of your environment and what you're exposing yourself to, and also just those, I think God meets your effort in tenfold, right? So if you're trying to, even if you are, and I can think of specific times where I've not been living the life that I know the Heavenly Father wants me to live, like making great choices But even that first time of kneeling down and saying, okay, Heavenly Father, I want to change or I want to be closer to you, he meets you right there, right wherever you are. And I hear that in our 12-step meetings over and over, people testifying of God will meet you right where you are. And I believe in that very strongly. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think so too. And and one thing that I I was going to say there, I have had some really cool experiences as well, like some really powerful experiences. I do, first of all, 100% agree with you, like taking time to be quiet, be still, filling your mind with proper things, with um, positive influences and setting yourself up to be in a place where you can connect with the spirit and connect with, you know, God. But I have had powerful experiences as well in places where, or times where like, you know, I wasn't in a good spot or mm-hmm. it was an, in a, in a crazy, like loud situation or, um, just different times where it was kind of like in an environment where it would be like the last place that I would think to receive, you know, revelation or direction. Like suddenly all of a sudden the, there's, you know, a feeling or a voice that kind of breaks through in my head and gives some direction. That's like, you know what, like you don't need to, you don't need to be here or you don't need to be doing, you know, what you're doing. Like there is a different way to do this. Yeah, um, I've had that I've too. had those. And those are really powerful experiences. And they're, and it's, again, it's like really loving. It's like a loving voice that's like, yeah. hey, you know what? You don't have to do this. And 
Um, and sometimes it'll come through like a, like a few different times. And there are times where I've listened to it and been grateful for those times. And there's times when I haven't and, and looked back and been like, wow, that was, you know, God speaking to me and I chose not to listen to it. But it kind of reminded me of like, you know, as often as I'm willing to turn and listen, God will speak to me, to me um, and, and will continue to reach out. And, and that's a, such a comforting thing to know that. And that's kind of been my experience. It's really cool that, that, you know, as soon as we turn to him because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, like he will work with us where we're at yeah. and he'll take whatever we give him as far as attention or, you know, seeking to, to do his will or to connect with him and he'll work with that and, and develop it and, and get it to that point where, you know, we can have a strong connection with him, but it does take effort on our part. I think last year when we studied the New Testament, I I really gained a lot from studying the parable of the vineyard and the parable of the prodigal son. And the thing I got from both of those is that God doesn't care. I mean, he cares, but he, it's never too late, basically. And that he celebrates anytime we want to turn around and turn to him. And I think the only loss that you have is is whatever time you lost, you know, and and that's like your loss, not his, right? When you choose to not be close to him. But as soon as you do, he celebrates that. He doesn't ever begrudgingly go like, well, you've been a slacker, but fine. I guess now I'll talk to you. It's yeah. never like that. It's always like he just loves and embraces his children whenever they want to turn to him. And that's kind of a, I hear that's something that a lot of people I've found who are like going through challenges, like struggle with is, and you can hear it like when they, when they talk about mistakes that they're making, or I've done it myself, where it's like, you know, they speak of, of God's voice is like this, this condescending, like, you know, well, here's, you know, yeah, you, you deserve this. Here's what you get. Here's what you got. Like, this is, you know, it's this really negative tone of like, it's really something that a lot of people I find in meetings have to like rework when they first come into the program is this feeling of like, God's done. He's over it with me. Like he's, he's just kind of to the point where he's like so disappointed with me and my choices and where I'm at that he's just not going to help me. Um, that there's no hope for me. That's the and, opposite. And of that's what he the wants exact opposite of it. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. You make choices to step away from him and, and kind of numb yourself out. It's like, you're not, you're not going to hear that voice as well, but where you're making those efforts, Heavenly Father will work with that. He'll take those, whatever your efforts are to turn to him and to try and listen. And like, he will listen and, and he will work with you in a way that is going to be to your benefit. And that's a lot of times getting that right and reworking that basic concept of, you know, there is a God and I'm his child and he loves me. I don't know why, but I think a lot of times we struggle with that. We struggle with that concept and getting that right. And that if we can understand that relationship, suddenly things change quite a bit. And, yeah. and our relationship with him changes quite a bit. And specifically our prayers with him change quite a bit when we understand who he really is. And I love that in the scriptures, we see over and over, God will address people by name. And that's just another testament to me that he knows each of us by name. He knows us individually. And when I think about talking to my heavenly father, I think about the relationship I have with my own dad and how much I love to talk to him. And how much my, I know my dad loves me and just trying to think of that, but in absolute perfection, like times a million, how much more God loves me as his child. And that really sets a completely different tone as far as, you know, some voice of thunder who's going to just like waiting you said, for you to make a mistake. Right. Like, no, it's it not is. like that. Gotcha. Are it's you not kidding like me? that at all. And yeah. if you have your own children, you know how much you love them. You know how that is, how much you love each of your children and try to think about that, except in literal perfection, you know, how perfect God's love is for each of us. It really just completely changes. And that's something that I really hope to instill in our kids. And like, if they can get a couple of things right and, 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 you know, if I could, you know, if I was guaranteed success with them in, you know, with a few concepts, it would be, there is a God for, there is a God, there is a plan for you. 
you are a, a child of God and he loves you unconditionally. Like yeah. if you can, if you can get those basic things, I think you can avoid a lot of the, a lot of struggles that are unnecessary in life. Well, and not just even avoid, but that you can get through anything. Because even if you understand those concepts, life is not going to be easy. Yeah, it will be hard. Yeah, it, right. You will have challenges, but understanding that God loves you and that you can speak to him and that he'll speak to you, that will get you through anything. Yeah. So, And that's uh, the times that I've experienced major challenges. I think uh, the obviously the ones that come to mind are losing both my brothers. I think at a young age, I was 13 when my brother committed suicide, my, my first brother, Steve. Um, and that was kind of one, what got me through that was understanding and feeling like, hey, God's there and there is a, you don't understand all of this and it doesn't make sense, but God understands and he loves you and it's going to be okay. And those are some of the impressions, the voice of God that comes to me that I could hear. And the same thing with losing my brother, Dave, like there's so much about it that I'm like, I just don't understand or don't get about the, you know, what happened and why. And and things we'll never understand you, in this I, I won't get answers yeah. to a lot of these questions, but knowing that there is a God, that he loves me unconditionally and there is a plan. There's a greater plan for all of us, but for me specifically, there is a plan. Knowing those three things, like I'm like, okay, I it helps to give me the the confidence or trust that like, okay, this is crazy for me. It's I'm squirrely or all over the place, but God's perfect and he's got this and it's gonna be okay. Like that is is really reassuring. And that's, you know, there's a scripture in the Book of Mormon that I love in Nephi when he talks about that. He's like, you know, Knowest thou the condescension of of God? And he says, I, you know, I know that he loveth his children, but I don't understand the meaning of all things. It's like, look, I don't I don't know all things, but I know that God loves us. And that's enough. And that's that's yeah. really what matters. Yeah. Do you have any personal stories of when you can think of an experience when God spoke to you and what that felt like, what it sounded like? Yeah, I've had a there there have been several big ones. And several little ones. One thing, and we'll talk, I think we're going to do a whole episode on this, but when we moved to California, mm-hmm. um, those were some of the strongest impressions or, you know, revelations or God speaking to me, whatever, you know, however you want to call it, that I've ever had. Um, and I think there was a series of them, but I think there were a couple that I remember specifically. So, you know, we were living in Utah. I was working and driving around to different hospitals and was looking at getting this job here in Southern California based off of a, you know, a a revelation or feeling that Corinne had that we were supposed to move to Southern California. And I remember sitting in my car and I talked to, you know, a a manager friend of mine for this other company about this position that was available in, in San Diego. And I was like, oh man, like, he's like, I, I don't think it's going to go down. You know, there's a lot of different reasons. And, you know, but I had a shot. I had like one shot at an interview with the heads of the company. And it was kind of like, this is your only chance. Um, and so I remember sitting in my car and I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to convince these guys that, you know, this is the right position? And I remember getting a, a distinct just feeling of a person to call that I knew that was in the same industry that we actually applied for the same job at one point And he ended up getting it. So I called him and I'm like, he probably won't answer. Like, I don't talk to him a lot. And then boom, he answered. He just happened to have some free time. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, dude, what did you do to get this job? And then he broke down for me this entire process of, you know, going through and writing down all the contacts. He created this whole book and, um, you know, this whole strategy and plan and, you know, this entire presentation and then I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, no wonder he got the position. Um, but that was a key bit of information for me to get the the job that took us to California. Um, and then the other one was before that, I remember initially having a conversation with this manager who's a friend of mine for this company. And and he was like, hey, pretty much no, it's, you know, you, you're not even going to get a shot at interviewing. And this was before that, you know, whole calling this guy about finding out about the, you know, the position and how he got it. 
But I remember hanging up the phone. I was like, okay, you know, yeah, it's probably right. There's a lot of different reasons on why I, sh- I wouldn't be the guy for this. Hung up the phone and had, this is the only time it's happened to me in this way, but it was like someone almost shouting at me. They're like, and, and the words were, you're supposed to get this job. And it was like somebody like almost grabbing me by the shirt and pulling me in and saying, you're supposed to get this job. Call him back right now. And that was like, I've never had it happen like that. So I'm like, okay. I called him back and was like, hey, man, just just give me a shot. I will drive to the, the interviews, final interviews. They're in their final rounds with a bunch of different candidates. And it was in Las Vegas. And I'm like, I will drive myself down there if I can just have a sh- one shot to meet with these guys and to talk to them. And, um, and then he, you know, he's like, let me make a few phone calls. He called them, called me back. He's like, all right, you drive yourself down here. We'll get you in front of them. And, and this is your one shot. So those were two impressions or times that God spoke to me that were very like, so targeted, specific, and just like intense, which is out of the ordinary. Usually it's very, very subtle and very, very quiet, almost like a hunch or like a gentle, like, you know what, maybe I should do this, or maybe I need to call this person, or let me, maybe this is right. Um, So there's a couple of experiences. Well, it's funny how we're telling this story backwards, because the story that precedes that story is how we decided that we needed to move to Southern California in the first place. And yeah, which was so out of left field that so I out of the just was so, like, what? Right. So we were living in Utah. Life was kind of just comfortable at that point. Neil had a good job. I was doing my blog. I was about a year into my, not quite a year into my blog and just having fun with it. It was fun. I was happy as a mom and we were going to the temple. And I think it's important to note that we were at the temple, but we were not at all in a place in our marriage or in just life where we were these regular temple attenders. Yeah, it wasn't attendees. Like a super regular thing for No, us. and so I, uh, every time I talk about how we go to the temple weekly now, I hesitate and I, not hesitate, but I'd never want someone to feel like, oh, well, if only I were as spiritual as you. It's or, not like a holier than that. No, thing. and when I look back at this experience, I feel like there must have been really something that, I mean, obviously there was something that Heavenly Father needed to tell us. It was important to for us. us to be there. And it was important. Yeah. He helped us get there that night because it was hard for us to like have all the stars aligned and find a sitter and find the time and get into the temple. And so we happened to be in the temple that night, which was not, like I said, something that was, no, that thing. wasn't common for us. I I bet at that point we were going once a quarter, maybe. maybe yeah. Annabelle was born in October. So this was about January or February, I think. Mm -hmm. And so this may have even been the first time we went to the temple since she had been born. Yeah. So anyway, we uh, were sitting in the celestial room, which is like the kind of the final place that you wind up when you go and do temple service. And it's just a really peaceful place. And I just, I remember sitting down and if I'm trying to describe exactly what that felt like, I remember having just this overwhelming feeling of love hit me, but then also a very distinct thought in my mind, you need to move to Southern California. And I started crying because I was so close to my family. I love, I mean, if you guys follow me on social media, you know, I'm super close with my family. And at the time we were up there at least once a week, family dinners, you know, I was talking to my mom minimum a few times a week, if not almost every day. I I just was really, really close with all my family and they all lived in Utah at the time. And so to get that distinct impression, you need to move to Southern California, it kind of just shook me because as much as I love Southern California, I didn't want to move away. But Neil looked over and said, why are you crying? And I said, I don't want to tell you. And he said, well, you have to tell me. And I said, okay, I feel like, I feel like we need to move. And he just looked at me and said, what do you mean? Like move out of our house? And I said, no, I feel like we need to move to Southern California. Which I was stoked. I was like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I have like, that has been a dream of mine for years. I've been dreaming of that for like, you know, 10 years. And I'd almost like just kind of put it on the back burner and forgot about it. But looking back, I'm like, it makes sense the way that it happened. Because I think if I would have had that revelation and come to you and been like, hey, I think you'd have been like, no way. 
<laughs> I'm not leaving my family. I mean, you probably would have listened because I think you would have felt it. But I think that you you specifically had that revelation because, you know, that's the way that it needed to happen. Yeah, it's been interesting how certain things have happened either for Neil or for me. But that, I agree, happened the way that it happened for a reason. So, and it just, from my perspective, when all these things started falling into place as far as us moving, every time there was a phone call or there was a a development in the story, it was like, this is happening, Corinne. It wasn't a, well, maybe. And I remember the same thing happening when I was in college and the opportunity to do a London study abroad came up. This is going to sound so bad because I know there are so many girls or there aren't that many boys that go because a lot of members of our church, the men go on missions. So it's more common for a girl to want to go than a boy. But nonetheless, there were so many people who wanted that opportunity. And yet when I applied for it, I I had a really immature, like, I just wanted to be around my friends. I wanted to keep going to school. I was, I had like severe FOMO and didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave school and miss out on anything. And yet every little step of that, turning in my application, having my in-person interview, I remember walking into the interview with the professor who was handpicking people to take to London for a four-month study abroad, I remember walking in thinking, I'm going to blow this interview. I'm going to just try to sound like I'm not that interested or give him answers that he doesn't like. And I sat down and I remember just feeling like all of these answers kept like coming out of my mouth that weren't even mine. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you speak or you say things that they feel like they're not even your own thoughts, but it was almost like an out-of-body experience. And I walked out of there thinking, I'm going to get this this spot to go on London study abroad because for some reason that's where God wants me. And sure enough, I got the letter in the mail and I had a roommate who was dying to go on a study abroad and she had applied for a different one and she didn't get in and I did. And I, I was almost disappointed, but I knew that was where God wanted me. And it was a little bit of the same feeling with moving to California. It was like every little step of the way, I kept feeling like this is going to happen. Oh, yep. We're going to go down there and Neil's going to get this interview. Like, even though, even when they told you, sorry, we don't have a, an interview for you, I thought somehow this is still going to work out. And then it yeah. did. And which, by the way, that interview, that was the craziest experience of my life. I mean, I went into a room, there was like the CEO of the company, like, like top sale, like it was a small company, but all of the leaders of the company around a table and me. I mean, it was kind of like Shark Tank, literally. And I remember going in and having prepared after speaking to this friend of mine, you know, about how to how to prepare for this interview. And it was the same type of a deal, kind of like an out-of-body experience. Like, I've never had that happen to be, words came to me, just like description, like as far as like from a sales standpoint, I'm like, I've never done so amazing at selling somebody on me and my services and what I could do. Um, like, it was in, it was crazy. You know, and after that interview, I think I I got a call like three days later and they're like, all right, you know, you're our guy, which never happens. I'd I'd interviewed with other companies for like literally six months, like, you know, almost a year before, before getting a position in the industry that I was in. So that was just insane. But I, but even walking out, I'm like, that wasn't, that wasn't me. And on another note too, like these revelations, I think a lot of times we expect, And I expected, you know, it to be easy. Like, okay, all right, cool. We're going to move to Southern California. Something's going to land in my lap and it's just going to be easy. It was so unbelievably difficult. Like that whole process of getting that job, going through that, driving down there, you know, having this crazy interview, then going back, packing up all of our stuff. Like it was so He interviewed on a Friday and we found out Monday. Okay, you have two weeks. Move. Yeah, it was like, all right. Sell your house. Get get over there now. Yeah. And we're, by the way, we're not paying for it. You pay your own way to move out there, yep. which we did. And then I thought once we got over there that I'm like, hey, this is right. We so received revelation. Gonna, yeah. This this territory is going to rock it. Like this product's going to be awesome. We're going to do so well and it's going to just facilitate what we need. And it was the most unbelievably challenging experience of my entire career to the point. And then six months into it, I lost my job, which then I was like, what in the world? Like I had all these crazy experiences and revelations on 
how I was supposed to do this and I was this was the right position. I just could not believe that it didn't work out. In a monetary way, it was a fail. Oh, huge <laughs> fail. But, I, literally a career ending fail for me. Right. But in a spiritual sense, in a long-term in eternal perspective, you look yeah. at the, let's look at some other factors. Our marriage was seriously struggling when we left Utah. That was kind of, you know, at a height of Neil's addiction was not in a good place. We got out here and we found ARP. We found this incredible group of people who were running a really strong ARP program. And then I think Neil talked about in just our most recent podcast about how he lost his job and basically asked God, whatever needs to happen, let it happen. And then he got that humbling, like, okay, you want your humble pie here? Here it is. Here's a slice. And then, you know, we worked through some really challenging years of working through the steps, you know, having Neil and Neil completely take on a new career and us learning to work together side by side. And now, in retrospect, I look at all of it and I'm like, of course, of course, Heavenly Father wanted us here so that he could mold and shape us into the things and the the people that we needed to be and the things that he had in store for us that he needed us to be able to do. And I remember that being my distinct impression as far as why we needed to move out here was to serve. Like I remember feeling, yeah, I, you, I need you there more than I need you here. And I need you to do things there that you will not be able to do here as far as in Utah. And now I look at, you know, how this has all played out and it's super obvious to me. Of yeah. course, Heavenly Father needed us here. And it's always, a lot of times in retrospect, yes. you're able to do it. But in the moment, it's difficult because you don't see it. And it's like, you really have to just go off of faith and be like, okay, this is why. And, and you know, just for clarification on the story as well, like that was before leaving and moving to California, I was struggling with, with addiction. And, you know, I was in meeting, trying to meet with my bishop and working with him. And so there was a, thank goodness, there was a gap where I was doing pretty well, a time where I was doing decent and I was working with my bishop. And I remember sending him a text and was like, hey, man, we're, you know, are you okay if we go to the temple? Like, I, I feel pretty good. You know, I'm in a place where I feel like we're all right. And and like, he felt like at that particular point, he's like, okay, yeah. Um, because in order to go to the temple, you have to meet certain standards of righteousness or personal worthiness and be living the commandments. And so obviously if, if you know, I'm acting out of my addiction or struggling, then that would keep me from going to the temple. It was pretty soon after that, though. I distinctly remember there was... Another, oh yeah, a lot of just there was like a relapse stuff just broke loose right around that. Valentine's yeah. Day, so that would have been like a month later. Yeah, so, so it was still very rocky, up and down, a real struggle. And by the time we got out to California, I remember talking to our new bishop and basically saying, "I feel like this is just going to be a struggle forever, and we're never going to get over this." Yeah, um, and that's a whole. I I I don't. I think we did a podcast on that, but that's a whole yeah. other story. But but yeah, just in, you know, in case there's that question. But um, but I think in general, like these are the things, and and what I've found is I need that. Like I need a lot of those kind of for me, they're anchor points of having a confidence, having a feeling, so that when things get hard in trying to follow inspiration. That it it's not like a man. This is just too this is too hard. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to stop doing. Or maybe this wasn't right. Like those thoughts come in anyway. But if it, for me, when I have those moments, and I can go back to that feeling, and if I've journaled it and written it down, like I can go back to that when I'm struggling with with the direction or or with my life. And remember how I felt and been like, no, this is right. This is what I'm, I am doing the right things. It is like, it is going to be okay because inevitably there will be opposition. And the bigger the, you know, thing is that you're supposed to do or the more important it is, the more opposition you're going to get. Right. And we experience that all the time. Whenever we're going to do something big, it's like we just get slammed with opposition. But with these revelations or these times that God, God has spoken to us, those prove as anchor points to be able to go back to. And we, you know, Karen and I will talk about it. We'll be like, you know what? We felt good about this when we prayed about it and or received direction from God. And we're going to go with it. We'll rely on that, knowing that 
it'll work out. We just got to keep moving. Right. And one of those that I am thinking of as you're talking about this is the decision to get married. I remember, you know, a couple of very strong impressions that I got from Heavenly Father that this is what he wanted us to do was, you know, he wanted me to marry you. And that for, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, but I remember feeling that so strongly and so peacefully. And then when hard times came, I was able to look back and say, no, I know for sure the Heavenly Father told me that this was what he wanted me to do was to marry Neil. And that was all I needed. That was enough for me to know that somehow, some way things would work out. And you know, I've had the opposite experience. I I very rarely talk about my divorce, but one thing that I have been open about with people at times is that I had a pretty strong revelation from God that almost like a warning, like, don't do this. And I, for really dumb worldly reasons, I got married anyway, because I was worried about things like oh, my parents have spent so much money or what if this, I literally, this was one of my thoughts. This might be my only chance to get married. And if I don't do it, then I might never get a chance to get married again. Um, Things like that, that were not of God. They were not like good reasons, but I just, my own pride and my own fear of the world, I guess, just kind of still pushed me into that decision of, well, I better just do this because this might be my only option, which is so silly to look back at now. But having that contrast between that and and having that voice of warning of God saying, I'm telling you, don't do this, versus when I married Neil and feeling so spiritually completely calm and peaceful and knowing that I had received revelation from God more than once saying, this is what I want for you. And this is a yes from me. I was able to go back to that over and over. And there was a talk that one of our, that are actually our therapist at the time, because we were seeing a therapist told us about, which is cast not away, therefore your confidence mm-hmm. by Elder sure. Holland. Yeah. And he just talks about if it was right once and God said it was right, you don't need to keep questioning him. You don't need to keep going back and saying, well, tell me again. Like, well, are you we, sure that yeah. this is right? Like, no. And it's, it's an incredible talk. We can put that in the, the show notes, but that's just one that I think about a lot that has saved me many times from feeling like, oh my gosh, things are hard. Was this really right? I can always go back to that and say, I know that it was right. I know that when, when I knelt down and prayed and asked Heavenly Father, I got a warm, peaceful, overwhelming feeling. Like an overwhelming, absolutely yes. It was not wishy-washy. It was not, gosh, did I feel that way? When I think back to those experiences, they're definite absolute yeses. They were like way powerful. And, yeah. that, and it was, you know, I had a series of my own experiences with that as well. And the same thing. I mean, I think when times are challenging and hard, you know, in marriage and in our marriage, it's been going back to those and being like, you know what? No, that this this was right then and and it is right now. And I think one thing that's been cool and in other experiences I've had this as well at other times in my life is Heavenly Father is really patient with me and he'll go back and he'll bring my mind back to that point and and help me work through that process. And this isn't with our marriage, but just with other, you know, other decisions or other things that been like, oh, okay, this is hard, but he'll help me remember that feeling. And he'll, and it's like, it acts as like an assurance. It's like, hey, you're on the right path. You're doing what's right. Keep going. And I'm like, it's, it's hard. And I'm, you know, I'm like, man, I'm just really feeble. A lot of times with that, I I need a lot of assurances, but there are times where he's just like daily been like, Hey, you're good. You're good. Like keep going. You're good. You're good. And so there's a lot of patience there that Heavenly Father has with us. And I think we would be blown away if we fully understood the love that he has for us and, you know, the unconditional love that, that he has for his children in general. Totally. One last thought. I think we've, we have talked about some big experiences, some big times that God has spoken to us and given us big revelation. But I want to be really clear that that's the exception to the rule that Neil yeah, and I don't I wake up that. having like these big revelations every day. I would say for the most part, they're small and simple. They're a thought will come into my mind of someone to call or something to do. One thing that I want to say is when I am good about reading my scriptures every morning, first thing in the morning, when I've prayed sincerely to know God's will, that 
I feel like even simple things as far as like a little reminder will pop into my head. Like you need to wrap this up right now, or you need to, you know, go talk to one of your kids or you need to, like, it's probably time to start dinner. Even those little silly things that might seem insignificant. I feel like when I'm trying to align myself with God's will, I'm trying really hard to open up those channels of communication by reading the Book of Mormon and inviting the Spirit into my life and praying daily that He helps me with all kinds of little things all the time. And I love this the country song, I Saw God Today, um, by George Strait, I think, where if you are paying attention, God gives God speaks to you all the time and gives you little tender mercies and gives you little nods and hints that He's aware of you, that He cares about you, that He's paying attention to you. And it's not always a voice of thunder. It's not always even a super loud, clear, and you know, revelation or inspiration. Sometimes they're just small things. But I love that there's someone who's attending the meeting regularly right now who says that all day long, he says, thy will be done in his mind all day. And I think about that a lot, about how much more I could open myself up to God's will if I would just also repeat that in my mind, thy will be done all day. And that comes from Acts 9, 6, Lord, what would would that have me do? So, you know, that's something that I think as a final note to just remember that God is willing to speak to us all the time, all day long. He's willing to help us and to mold us and shape us and put us on the path that he needs us to be on and use us as his instruments for good if we're just willing to ask and we're just willing to listen and to be directed by him. Um, do you Final have thoughts? Yeah, well, if there's one message that people oh, man, remember this from this. such what, a hard question. Well, sorry, but. Um, I would say that there is a God— he loves you. He has a plan for you. And because he loves you, he will tell you what you need to know to be successful in that plan. And that that's been something in my life that has literally guided me in every decision that I've ever made. And the struggles in my life have, have become, you know, I'm, I'm able to navigate them by listening to that voice and make it through. Whereas when I've relied on myself, it's just a very, very bad place to be. And it's just, there's not a lot of hope. But when I understand those things, there is a God, he loves me and he has a plan for me. And he will tell me that plan in a way that I can be successful in understanding it and enacting it. And he will give me the grace to do it then I can do anything and I can get through anything, um, even though there are just massive challenges in life at times. Amen to that. Thank you. I want to just add one last little thing to this podcast that Easter Sunday is coming up in a few weeks. If you are looking for a place to worship and just go to church on Easter Sunday, that you are welcome in our churches and you can find your closest location by going to comeuntochrist.org and just type in your zip code or your address and it'll show you the time and the place where you can attend and worship with us if you want to. So anyway, thanks you guys for being here with us today. I hope you learned something, felt something, felt God's love for you. And we'll see you next time. All right, we'll see you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.